Welcome to Problem Addict, a weekly podcast about notoriously problematic pop culture icons from our favorite reality TV shows, past and present, music videos, movies, and everything in between. Hey, all you problematics. It's Eugene, the host of Problematic Pod. I want to thank you so much for listening to this week's episode, and let's get started without any further ado. Top Chef, episode eight. Restaurant Wars. Okay, so most people love Restaurant Wars. I find Restaurant Wars sometimes a little too stressful to watch when a team is failing, like utterly. I find that very hard to watch. Restaurant Wars isn't always my favorite episode, but I think this is one of the better episodes. This episode really had me fooled for about 40 minutes, though, and I got, like, nervous because Byron was talking about being a dreamer, and I thought he was going home... And then I thought Dawn was getting the pack your knives and go edit. And then she made two great tasting dishes. So I knew she was safe and I had no clue who was going home. I ran through the list and Jamie uh, got so little screen time this episode, even after her remarkable comeback from uh, Last Chance Kitchen last week. Uh, And then Byron gets super emotional with uh, his parents and his sister but he's not in any danger of going home. So, uh, yeah, anyway. Um, There's a nice moment where he uh, talks about being Costa Rican, but he wasn't raised there. Uh, Like I said, he's a dreamer, and because of his status in the U.S., he can't travel. Byron says, but as a chef, I could travel the world through food, and uh, I think that's something I've never really thought about. And um, maybe this is the beginning of his winner's edit. I don't know. I'm so confused this season. Uh, Padma, Kristen, and uh, Gregory Corday are judging the Elimination Challenge. Kristen is Top Chef winner from season 10. And I'll be honest, I I don't recall ever watching an episode of Kristen's season. Uh, or at least, I don't think I did. I might have seen an episode here or there, but like for the majority of her season, um, I don't really know who she is. And I think maybe I've seen some of her competitors compete on All-Stars, so that kind of all blurs together for me. Um, But yeah, I've never actually seen her cook. That she's actually one of those people that went home on Restaurant Wars and then returned, beat all of her competition in Last Chance Kitchen and uh, ended up winning her season. So so kudos to to Kristen. Because of safety measures, there will be no large dining crowd. Uh, It's going to be indoors instead at a small chef's table. It's a tasting menu. I think for this setting, it works great as a uh, restaurant wars, but I think I, I don't. I would not want to be dining at a chef's table when things are going bad, right? It's just too intimate. I don't really need to see what the chef is doing is doing for every single moment uh, or minute. Uh, I also hate making small talk, so it's not really my ideal dining situation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, like places that like make you guacamole like on the side i hate that <laughs> it's just like really awkward uh padma says that she wants a seven course tasting menu <laughs> uh, maria interviews that it 
makes it makes her flash back uh, to her days opening restaurants, uh, gives her anxiety. So uh, she's done this before. There will just be one service, uh, just the all-stars and the guest judges to be served. No servers, no wait staff. The ship testants will be serving, refilling glasses, clearing plates, all that good stuff. Padma says that the name Portland was chosen off of a flip of a coin, and I don't know if that's true. I I need to check like facts.com or, or like snopes.com to verify that. Uh, I had never heard that, but I've never been to Portland, so... I agree with Shoda. The team of Gabe, Sarah, Dawn, and Chris might, they might have like a better or more recognized, I guess, uh, resume profile, but uh, accomplishments. But I think that Jamie, Maria, Byron, and Shoda are the fun team. And um, I would like go out on a night on the town with, I actually, I would never go out on a night on the town. No, I'm boring. Uh, watching this back, it's kind of obvious that Shoda would be really good at this. <laughs> Um, he states that he's been doing counter service for over 10 years and he points out that he doesn't want them yelling at each other, especially in front of the judges. He's very calmly leading his team through the steps of making a successful restaurant and, uh, good for him. Sarah, we, we see Sarah say that there is, an, the, that team will be doing a no strategy strategy, yeah, a no strategy strategy. And um, it's a bit much for all of them to think that I think it's a bit, I've never actually worked in a restaurant, but I think it's a bit much for all of them to think that they can attend to filling water glasses all night long during service because uh, these chefs don't seem to be the type to be that attentive. <laughs> so I'm a little nervous. Kokosan is a sort of amalgamation of the words Kokoro, which is Japanese for heart, and Corazon, which is Spanish for heart. Uh, the restaurant itself will be sort of a Latin American meets Asian sort of vibe. Shoda does this really amazing thing with delegating tasks without making it seem like he's delegating tasks. He says something about there's like nine minutes until like food has to go out. And then he says, you can focus on service, yes, to Byron. And Byron says, yeah, got it. And it's not even a question. It's more of a suggestion. And because Shota doesn't demand it or like phrase it like a question, Byron just like goes along and is like happy to switch his focus to service. It's impeccable the way it's done. And I need to learn this skill. My life would be so much less stressful <laughs> if I could master this skill of just like delegating things two people thinking that that's what they want to do <laughs> it's it's brilliant and it's also twofold because as byron is filling glasses he gets to eavesdrop on all the all-stars and the judges and uh, picks up what's being said about you know like the food <laughs> uh, maria cannot help herself uh, and she almost puts her foot in her mouth she, i guess she kind of does put her foot in her mouth but uh, like it's 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 not offensive. Uh, I think Dale says that he had five person, five person team for a restaurant wars on his season. And Maria says something along the lines of, oh, lucky for you. And of course he responds in a snarky way, but we had hundreds of people to cook for. <laughs> and um, Blaze, I think it is, kind of gives Maria a hard time for interrupting. But he also says that he loves a server that interrupts um, 
yeah i mean she's it's like a good nature like back and forth i don't think i would consider this being interrupted if you've watched this episode you know just how impressive the dishes are um team kokosan blows the judges away there's a point where padma actually like leans over across the table to maria who is i think filling like someone else's water glass sitting next to padma and she says you're killing it by the way and she looks so stunning as she says this to maria padma's got this short wig a great like one shoulder coppery brown dress it's almost a moment that should have been taken out in editing so that we were surprised I kind of felt after this moment, there is no way that they are sending anyone home from this team. This team has got it in the bag. Imagine having a judge lean over to you and say, you're killing it, by the way. (laughs) That would boost my confidence so much. Everything on this menu sounds amazing, except I think the uh, beef tongue sandwich, sando, I'm not into that. Uh, tongue is always like gross and chewy to me, so I would pass on that. But the eggplant with sesame mole sounds amazing, and I don't even like eggplant. Um, the uh, lightly cured sockeye salmon with uh, curry sauce and crispy quinoa sounds pretty good. The lotus root shiso with rockfish and ume paste sounds really good. Um, and I think it is, uh, the hot pot. Yeah. The hot pot with shrimp and seafood broth, the team dish that, <laughs> that sounds amazing and like comfort food. And then the dessert, the, uh, tres leches cake with coconut condensed milk and pineapple. That sounds amazing. It's, uh, the perfect way to end a meal. Gail says, Tom basically says that it's raised the bar <laughs> for restaurant wars going forward. <laughs> It's the best praise ever, but um, I, I, I kind of fear for like the next batch of chef testants doing restaurant wars. It's going to be really hard to uh, live up to like this season. Why is there no fish course at the seafood restaurant, Penny? Huh? Like, why? Their menu is a heirloom corn tostada with a fat bastard oyster and cured snapper. Dawn does a warm crab salad with island coconut sauce. There's a halibut crudo. Uh, and then there's a seared scallop. The seared scallop with exo sauce and ham hock broth. And now I, I'm sensing a trend with ham and seafood. Whether it be ham hock, ham something, ham broth, ham furikake. It's, huh, maybe ham and seafood go well together. Beats me. Sarah does this kind of unappetizing looking crispy salmon skin with bok choy when did bok choy start being spelled pak choy is that like a recent development because i grew up with bok choy and is it now pak choy because i want to be like alert alerted to that did the is there like an asian delegation i can like request a review of because there's i mean out of all the spelling errors (laughs) uh pak choy versus bok choy is not egregious to me this also has hazelnut brown butter sauce and that sounds kind of gross especially when it goes on crispy salmon skin look i love a salmon skin hand roll or a sushi roll but a dish with salmon skin and no salmon at a seafood restaurant seems like you should maybe rethink it 
Even Carrie asks, like, where's the rest of the salmon? And Sarah has to sheepishly say that, oh, we're going to eat it for dinner, <laughs> which is kind of a cute joke, but um, kind of falls flat. Chris does a tortellini in seafood broth, and uh, I, I think I'm kind of off of octopus. I've read enough about how smart or how scientists, biology, marine biologists claim that octopus are smart, so I shouldn't eat them. Like, they're one of, like, the smarter animals out there. So I feel like I should probably stop eating really intelligent octopus or octopus in general. But maybe I'm just brainwashed into thinking that. So basically, Gabe does a grilled octopus over a uh, verde mole. Uh, and then Chris, <laughs> like, really really surprises me with this kelp ice cream with cocoa nib meringue, toasted hazelnuts, and uh, seaweed salt. They love it. <laughs> they absolutely love it. So I know that Chris is kind of safe. And then, like, the more I look at this chef's table and the judging panel, do you realize how thin and conventionally attractive the women on the show are? Or, like, at least the judging panel, like the elite crew that makes it to this level? And most of these guys are... While I will say that they are better dressed than usual, they could all stand to lose a few pounds. Hey, I mean, I'm not trying to shame anyone because I could, I could definitely, <laughs> I could lose at least 15 pounds and still not be happy with my body. <laughs> but um, it's such a double standard when I see it on television, on a cooking competition show of all things. Like the women have this like standard of being slight, thin. But these guys just get bigger and bigger, and I think that's kind of messed up. I wonder how much weight Dale, Richard, Amar have gained since they've, like, their seasons versus Kristen and Melissa. I'm sure the answer is staggering. <laughs> uh, once again, let me say it. I wish Nina Compton was part of this episode. I hope we see her soon. I'm pretty sure I've seen her during filming, so... I don't understand. She must just like only show up for the finale. It's not even Memorial Day weekend yet. It hit 90 degrees in New York City. Um, which also means that in order for it to be quiet in my walk-in closet, all the windows are closed and my AC is off. And it, I wish I had a thermometer because it's got to be well over, well, that's an exaggeration. It's not 90, it can't be 90 degrees in my actual walk-in closet, right? It feels at least 84. <laughs> yeah. Maria wins and congratulations to Maria. It's her first win. Really sort of uh, makes those first like three episodes, first four episodes where she's complaining about never getting feedback uh, kind of come into perspective now and uh, Sarah has to go home. And this is kind of telegraphed out of nowhere. I didn't really, I guess all the clues are there after you rewatch the episode. She's kind of nervous, she's not very confident. Uh, she makes kind of the worst dish. Um, she has no front of house experience. She doesn't know how to interact or relate to the guests at the uh, chef's table. So it's kind of fitting that she goes home but she is one of the stronger chefs, I feel, and has a very, very good shot at making it back from Lance, last Yance Kitchen, I feel. So Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead was released on Netflix over the weekend. 
I think, over the weekend. Maybe it came out like Thursday night, Friday night. Who, who knows? Zack Snyder directed one of my favorite zombie movies of all time. The title is not called Army of the Dead. <laughs> Dawn of the Dead, his first stab at a zombie movie, is, I feel, so much better than Army of the Dead. Army of the Dead left me wanting so much more, while, I guess, Dawn of the Dead, to me, had no expectations and delivered beyond my greatest expectations. So maybe I just answered my question as to why I didn't like this movie. Um, there will be spoilers, so if you have not watched Army of the Dead, stop listening. I was super excited to watch Army of the Dead. Okay, that was definitely someone flushing their toilet. That noise must be coming from upstairs or downstairs. Because <laughs> to this day, there is still no one living next door. And fans of the podcast will know I'm recording this in my walk-in closet. So the only common shared wall would either be like upstairs or downstairs. And that's not even a wall. That would be either a ceiling or like the floor. <laughs> okay, so mystery solved. Um... Speaking of mysteries, no. Uh, how did this movie get made? Uh, Army of the Dead. What was that? Are there zombies in the walls? Imagine. That would be... Yo. If zombies appeared in vacant apartments across New York City, and then... I should, I should work on that. Okay, so uh, Army of the Dead. Army of the Dead, I was super excited about when I first saw the trailer. Um, I've watched this movie twice now. I watched it, I think, the night it was released. I, I don't even know. Um, but here's how it went. I was bored, and my husband's not into zombie movies or horror movies, so I knew that I could watch it on my own, and he wouldn't feel like he missed out on anything. And then I watched the entire movie, and I felt like I hadn't watched a proper zombie movie. So then I had to scroll through, I think it was Hulu. And I chose to watch Train to Pusan over again with the subtitles. <laughs> uh, which is also kind of a long movie. So I watched about five hours of zombie movie Friday night, Saturday night, recently. <laughs> I did like a few things. I like the opening montage of the showgirl zombies. Uh, it was a nice way to get sort of the gratuitous nudity like uh, out of the way really early and quick um, <laughs> during the opening credits. Uh, but I wish there was more, I wish more of the movie was like this. Uh, maybe we see some male dancers, like male, like exotic male dancer zombies, or we see like, how awesome would it have been if it was, like, a Britney Spears residency in Vegas and there's a zombie, like, attack at the show, right? Like, that would have been cool, I think. This whole, like, montage opening covers a lot of, like, zombie tropes. Like, the escape vehicle being driven by someone that has a bite on them and his, like, girlfriend, wife, whatever, who also has a bite on them. Well, if you have a bite, you will be infected, so you have to, like, kill them shoot them before they turn into zombies or the undead or whatever the shamble shamblers i think they're calling them in this movie i don't think they actually no they do use the word zombie don't they yes i like the heist aspect of it i think in a heist film 
uh, kind of way, it really sort of hit everything I was kind of expecting it in like an Ocean's 11, 12, 13, Ocean's 8 kind of way. Um, but in terms of a pure zombie movie, I think I was a little disappointed. We get the opening montage of, and this is actually, the opening is probably one of my favorite parts. Uh, I'm going to skip over the whole military intro uh, because I I find that <laughs> I have questions as to how, uh, what this like introduction, introductory zombie um, that escapes who is he later on in this movie? I'm not sure if he's the alpha or if one of the military guys that turn is the alpha. And is the alpha the same as Zeus? Because I think Zeus should be the alpha. But then I've also heard some comments and things online that this is supposed to be the bride and the groom that get married at the beginning of the movie spoilers throughout this podcast um so the opening montage i thought was really well done i was really hoping for more of this sort of uh music video quick cut montage we get a woman who i think should be like really important but then she gets reunited with her daughter <laughs> and then she dies instantly uh and i i sort of get that hey you can't really develop any feelings or remorse or sympathy for these characters because most of them will eventually like will not make it <laughs> let's face it uh but it seemed like we were getting somewhere and then to see this container ship fall on her uh, on her daughter it was sad i'm pretty sure that's tignataro as the zombie elvis impersonator during the opening credits anyone else catch that Omari Hardwick is literally going to buzzsaw his way through this movie, isn't he? I had to look up what this thing was because I know what a chainsaw is. I know what a saw is. I don't know what a buzzsaw is, but I just sort of thought those words together were what this thing is, and it is a buzzsaw. However, at like 11 minutes in, I found this super ridiculous. There are lots of ridiculous things in this movie, I guess, but... Um, there are these paratroopers, parachute police officers, I guess. Uh, they're not really in branded, like, security clothing, so who knows who they are. But they're parachuting down into crowds of zombies with, like, a single pistol. And I'm pretty sure a single pistol, like, gets off maybe six rounds? Maybe... I, I actually, I think it gets off six rounds. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, but that's a bad idea. <laughs> And whoever thought that parachuting into a crowds of zombies with a pistol was a good idea, uh, I mean, that person must work for, like, Las Vegas PD, the FBI, uh, CIA. I don't know who takes care of zombie apocalypse infestations. I, I hope we never find out. I've noticed that when they want to make Dave Bautista uh, slash actor thespian... Uh, sports entertainment star uh they want to make him serious they, they put him in glasses his character in blade runner 2049 has glasses his character in this movie has glasses pretty sure his character was that my spy is that that movie i'm pretty sure he has glasses in that one too so there's mr tanaka and he says that there's 200 million dollars underneath the casino and uh that's 200 million dollars that the insurance company has already reimbursed him for, reimbursed him for i can't even even imagine um so they want to uh, mr tanaka wants this money back it can't be traced so hey he's free to spend it and that's 
that's the reason basically this movie starts. <laughs> Let's not even get into the problem. Actually, maybe we should get into the problematic cameo uh, by the... Uh, um, I don't even want to say, by the faux news anchor uh, that is uh, on the screen uh, debating uh, Donna, Donna Brazel uh, on, uh, on like, the, the most, like, political part of this movie, I guess, is uh, between the former and uh, redacted and um, Donna Brazel, and it's just, it's, it's bizarre. I wish it wasn't in this movie. I I get why it is, but I wish it wasn't there. No one needs to hear from that man again, or or no one needs to see that man on television ever again. I'm left with many, many questions about how many people are left in the quarantine zone and why. It looks like they're mostly children, like young children and women. Like, why are these the women, uh, the people left in the quarantine zone? It seems like they're trying to evacuate relatively quickly. Uh, the PA announcement says that the shuttles are leaving every 15 minutes, so you should get the hell out of this quarantine zone. But why are children playing playing soccer in, field, in like a field? I don't understand. Uh, I, under, I, I get that Gita wants to run away, but she's going to leave her kids behind? This... It, it's confusing. And then we meet Kate. I don't think I like her, but she must be important because she has a, a badge around her neck on a uh like this bright blue lanyard this lanyard i'm sure is gonna come into play somehow help her escape maybe from like a zombie attack i guess we're also supposed to think that if you make it out of las vegas on these quarantine uh, evacuation vans i guess you never leave uh, wherever you get stationed like you just relocate to barstow forever i think so i guess she wants to escape uh, gita wants to escape and raise her kids anywhere else but Barstow, I think. I'm not exactly 100% clear on that plot point. Also, can you justify shuttles leaving every 15 minutes at a camp that doesn't look like it holds like a lot of people? It looks like there's maybe like 60 people left at this camp. Let's be honest, did you think that uh, it was going to be revealed that Dave Bautista's character Scott uh, killed his wife because she had turned into a zombie? Like, did you think that was going to happen this early in the movie? <laughs> uh, Mr. Tanaka's with some military men. Uh, High-ranking officials look like by, by going from their costumes. Uh, when Scott, Dave Bautista's character, calls and accepts the deal. So I feel like Mr. Tanaka's working with the military, uh, but that wasn't, like, really made apparent. And I think in zombie movies, you don't have to, like... <laughs> bash you over the head with like all the all the all the things you should be paying attention to but it's i mean if you like blink your eyes you'll miss the fact that like he's in an office with uh, at least four other people like probably like someone from the navy the air force the army the marines let's talk a little about tignataro as uh peters the helicopter pilot obviously the comic relief uh totally in for the the job for two million dollars we get Mike. We also meet Mikey Guzman, uh, played by Raul Castillo. I don't like this blonde, this blonde dyed hair. Um, I like the curls, but uh, yeah, it's it's a choice. Uh, when Looking was being filmed, uh, I'd see him around San Francisco, and he's just so cute. Dieter Ludwig Dieter is going to be the safe cracker. 
Um, but don't forget that this is a zombie movie. So uh, I want to know the... He doesn't have a high chance of surviving, I feel. <laughs> uh so I'm actually excited when we meet him because I'm pretty sure his death scene is going to be really, really memorable. Uh, this movie's very, very long, and I thought that one part... Actually, I appreciate that, that they left it in, but one part that it seems like a very, very long scene is um, Omari Hardwick's uh, character, I believe, is Vander Rowe. So Mr. Vander Rowe goes out to the desert to retrieve his big plastic barrel buried... Uh, Buzzsaw? <laughs> that was hard to say. Um, let's see if I can say it again. Big barrel buzzsaw. No. Buried. Big buried buzzsaw. Barrel. I can't get the words right again. Uh, I think he does it shirtless, so I pre I appreciate that. Uh, it's it's just like this hero shot. It's, um, I guess, I guess that's all for the female fan i don't i it's yeah he's i mean put amart put him in more action movies guzman has a squad um he brings along two two members uh chambers and i think damon chambers and damon uh chambers is a woman damon's a man more fresh meat for the zombies i guess if you're like a star trek fan these are going to be like red shirts you know that they're not going to make it they're not going to survive um I really also like this Ocean's 11, 12, 13 style montage. It really gets you pumped for the movie. But it also comes at 40 minutes in. And they should have just started it here, I think. I don't think anyone... Yeah, the story can totally just start here and it'll be fine. Uh, no one would be lost if they just like walked into the movie at this point. It's also all very best case scenario storytelling. Can all the people, 200 million uh, in cash, be on a helicopter with little fuel? I mean, this whole escape plan doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Also, I know it's been like mentioned to death, but if this is Mr. Tanaka's hotel and his safe, why do you need a safe cracker? There's no reason to break into your own safe. It's his safe. Why is he hiring people to break into his own safe? It doesn't make sense. Mr. Tanaka just... His motivation doesn't seem right. And then, like, Damon chickens out. He's never killed a zombie, and uh, he's not... I also kind of uh, thought that Damon might, like, try to double-cross everyone and get the money on his own. So I was I expected him to come back into the film, but he doesn't. That, no, he's literally in the movie uh, for, like, two minutes, and then he's like, all right, nope, I'm out. Which is admirable because, yeah, like, zombies are, are scary. I wouldn't want to risk my life fighting zombies for any amount of money. Last but not least, we'll get uh, Martin. Martin's the head of security for Mr. Tanaka, and he's also going to tag along. Please don't judge me, but I kind of dig, uh, I kind of dig Dieter's outfit. I think I might have those very, those very suspenders that he wears, um, these like thin brown leather suspenders I, i've had them for years and i just I, they his look works i don't even want to get into the fact that it seems that kate has no problem driving a van full of a bus full of people to and from a quarantine site 
that's close to a place that's going to get nuked with no checkpoints, no gates, no stop, no nothing. It's just an open road and the military just waves her through. I think it's, I don't even want to like wrap my brain around how implausible that is. And then of course, plot twist, Kate sees, Kate learns that Gita's left her kids behind. I'm also jealous that Dieter gets to be like strapped into his holster by, uh, by Vanderbilt. Of course, Kate guilt trips her dad into taking her to find Gita. Oh, I thought we were done, but nope, the security guard is also going to tag along. He's just kind of a gross male pig, and you know he's going to get it. <laughs> so, uh, I can't wait. Uh, Lily. Lily's the coyote um, for a very long time. I had no idea where her accent was from, and then I realized she was French, and I realized she was French because I had the subtitles on once. Uh, and uh, <laughs> she's speaking French. <laughs> Clearly said so on the uh, the screen. So, yep, that's a French accent. I should know better. So Lily has like one of the best missed opportunities, I feel, in this, uh, this movie. Uh, wh while everyone is getting into the, uh, I guess, the condemned city of Las Vegas, uh, all the bodies of like the zombies are piled up. Because basically in the sun, uh, they've all shriveled and dried up because the zombies are stupid and they haven't like, s like sought for cover for, for the blazing hot sun. She also mentions, uh, you should see what happens when it rains. And I think that's a really good idea of like, oh, when these bodies get rehydrated, reanimated, um, wow, we've never seen that in a zombie movie, at least to my knowledge. That's a kind of cool idea. So we should expect that like in the next hour, hour and a half, right? Right? But nope. Nope, we don't see it. At all. So if I'm not mistaken, I think there's 11 people on this crew. I can pretty much guarantee that like at least 7, 8, probably 9 aren't going to make it. Hi Valentine, hi Zombie Tiger, nice to meet ya. So, I don't know what to call her. I'm just going to call her the Zombie Queen. But the Zombie Queen is obviously, to me, and like an extra, or the star perhaps, of some Cirque du Soleil variation that's performing uh, well, at the time of the, the zombie apocalypse in, in Vegas or the infestation. She's a dancer or a acrobatist, acrobatist? Gymnast, uh, for sure. But I also think, but then we find out that she's also pregnant. <laughs> so yeah, whatever. Chambers, I believe, is our first victim. Uh, just randomly, like, in succession, some thoughts. Uh, that man, Martin, cut that zombie's head off, the queen zombie's head off. That was crazy. And then he puts it in a bag. Vanderoe starts taking zombies. He's sort of kidnapping zombies to run through these booby traps. And I notice he has these Bose headphones clipped uh, to his vest, these like silver headphones that I'm currently wearing. And I'm like, nice choice. Nice choice, Vanderoe. Come sit next to me and let's, let's discuss our Bose headphones while you flex next to me. <laughs> okay, so it was like the third time, I'll be honest. Um, there are obviously spaceships in the first 36 seconds of this film. 
and I didn't notice. <laughs> uh, there are two light, like, orbs, UFOs, that fly across the sky after the armored vehicles leave Area 51. How did I miss this? I <laughs> So... I now I'm take I'm like watching this movie through a different like lens, and how did, does that imply that aliens put the zombies on Earth? Uh, <laughs> Kendrick, did you notice that? <laughs> like, I, I'm. What I I don't think that changes the my mind of maybe not liking the movie so much, but it's a different perspective. And now, it, like, yeah, obviously some of these. Zombies were robots because they looked like the Terminator once you got shot and like they had all that blue stuff underneath. <sighs> hmm. I would love to watch a movie. Uh, and actually, I know that I will get to watch a movie about Ludwig Dieter's uh, discovery and friendship with Vander Rohe. Uh, Dieter is like the nerdy kind of like off, like off but sexy probably uncut German exchange student that probably doesn't identify as gay, but definitely like leans queer. <laughs> um, probably been pegged by his girlfriend. Uh, you know, um, notice he keeps calling Vanderroe sir, or like Mr. Vanderroe. I think that's like really cute. Uh, so German. I understand that the generators were turned on by the, the by the crew, or namely like Scott, but it's ridiculous that the TVs work and that the news report is telling the team that the nuke is coming 24 hours earlier than expected. Like, oh, let's just turn on. Uh, the, it, it, I roll. I do like this whole sec, uh, section with uh, the breaking into the safe. It's. I guess this is the movie I kind of wanted to watch. Oh, and secret. Um, the second or third time I watched this movie, I watched it at 1.25 speed. The dialogue doesn't suffer. Some of the music cues sound weird because they're sped up. Uh, but this movie is just, it's just shot so, in so much slow-mo, and it's just such a slow-paced movie that you could watch this at a higher speed and... I think I even turned it up to like 1.5 speed at one point and I didn't notice any difference. Um, also, if they only have 90 minutes now before the nuke hits, um, why are why are they having all these long, like meaningful, heartfelt one-to-one -one conversations? Like, you're going to die. Get out of there. Is anyone's favorite character Kate? Because she's not mine. I think she's an idiot. I kept waiting for her to die. Um, Gita, we never see after again. We never see again after the helicopter crashes. So, do we assume that she also survived, or is it just Kate? I can't see Kate being the main character for a spinoff franchise. She's. I don't think she's a good a uh, good her heroine. <laughs> I don't think she's a good heroine. I don't think she's a good like leading. She's not an action star. Neither is Gita, uh, and don't forget she kind of like dumped her kids and tried to like run away, uh, and I think that Mr. Tanaka's first name might be Bly, like it's the Bly Casino and Hotel. Uh, I I I can't I can't. Cruz has a really shocking sudden death, but it's it. The emotional weight is very, very empty because 
she is having this heart-to-heart with Scott, her, I guess, like, pseudo-lover, boyfriend, whatever. Uh, she is, like, a major badass. So it sucks that when it comes down to it, a zombie breaks her neck. She doesn't even get an amazing fight scene like that I thought was so lame. So if you're keeping count, we've got Guzman is still alive, the coyote is still around, Martin, the sketchy security, uh, head of security for Tanaka is still around, Dieter, Van Der Rohe, and um, Scott are alive, <laughs> uh, but Kate has run away, I think, at this point. I wish we had more scenes with the group being like split up. Uh, when Dieter and Van Der Rohe get split up from the group, I was super excited. I love this part. I wanted to see more of this like weird, odd couple. Martin reveals his true intentions and traps Lily, the coyote, the, the French one. He's going to kill the pilot now that the chopper is fixed and he can apparently fly like himself out. Also, that means that, uh, yes, Tignataro, as the helicopter pilot, made it into up to the roof fixed <laughs> this helicopter was on fire at one point wasn't it <laughs> whatever also did you catch that the alpha doesn't bite any of the group the alpha just wants to fight them he wants them to die but he doesn't want to turn them into other alphas or immediately into zombies i was i was so rooting for for Dieter and uh, van der Rohe. Dieter manhandling Van Der Rohe to save him from the Alpha, I thought for sure he was going to close the safe door and protect him, like the both of them, but instead, well, we don't see him technically die, though. So I feel like he could be alive, but that would be very, very difficult. Like I said, the Alpha isn't necessarily trying to turn these zombies, uh, turn these, uh, turn the, 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 the the people, the, the, the victim, the, the squad. So I feel like he could be alive, but the chances are very, very slim, especially since they dropped like, uh, a, like the, I think it's a small, a small nuclear bomb, but it's still a nuclear bomb. So I feel like he could be alive, but um, it's not for sure. I don't think it's a huge reveal that Dieter is getting his own prequel. I think though it's um it's probably a Netflix thing called uh, Army of Thieves. Basically, I think it's like a rom-com heist. So this is like welcome to the new Netflix Marvel not cinematic universe, I guess. <laughs> um the tiger sequence was cool, but why did killing Martin take so long? <laughs> I feel like Valentine could have accomplished uh killing Martin. I think this might have been part where I sped it up to 1.5 speed, and um, yeah, it like even at that point I was like, this, this, this scene is still too long. <laughs> so just to remind you, now we've got so Lily is still alive, Guzman is still alive, Scott is still alive, and they're trying to make it up to the elevator to the roof. As Guzman shoots up the zombies in the casino. Uh, I guess we're, yeah, like I said, I guess, uh, I guess we're supposed to infer that these are like robot zombies. I guess you really have to pay attention for the blue lights that are inside some of these robot zombies. If you, if, I guess on a small screen, it's hard to tell, but yeah, in a, in a large movie theater, I'm sure you would be able to notice. He gets bit, obviously, and then he sacrifices himself so that Lily and Scott can get away. I like Lily threatening the alpha. 
but uh, with shooting the queen in her severed head, that's kind of a, a good, I don't know, I, I, that's, maybe Lily was my favorite part of this movie. <laughs> so, is the alpha the same guy, so is the alpha the same zombie that escaped from the payload at the very beginning of the movie? Because his hair seems longer. Do the army guys become alphas? And what happened to the bride and groom at the very beginning of the movie? Do the bride and groom, are they supposed to be like the zombie queen? Because that's not the outfit she was wearing. I feel like the zombie queen is a dancer or a gymnast, so she works for Cirque du Soleil. Do Kate and Gita have a thing going on? And who are these randos with Gita? Uh, these two friends? Uh, I mean, we know that they're going to get killed, but who are they really? <laughs> they're kind of dumb for trusting her. Oh, and one is named Sadie. I know this because Gita yells it out as Sadie is being attacked and bitten by Cummings, uh, the security officer. Right now, we know that Kate, Gita, Scott, and Peters are alive. But Peters flew away. <laughs> Psych. She's back. She, she grew conscious and she wants to uh, help everyone escape. And even with the speed set to one and a quarter speed, uh, this stare between Kate and her dad, Scott, as they try to get away on the roof takes way too long. Way too long. So long that the Alpha catches up and uh, is, you know, like out of focus right behind her. For such a badass pilot, Peters does something really, really dumb, and <laughs> this is my beef, I think, with the movie. In order to escape, Peters does, like, this nosedive down in the helicopter, uh, and because she goes down when the zombie, when the alpha zombie jumps off the building, obviously, the alpha zombie just, like, lands inside of the helicopter. If Peters was smart, Peters would have, like, gone up, if she flew up, the zombie would not have been able to jump into the helicopter, right? It's like the simple laws of gravity, fool. <laughs> uh, I think I think I could make it in the zombie apocalypse. I I may not be like the fastest or the strongest, but uh, I wouldn't do stupid things like that. To wrap this up, Peters gets shot. The nuke gets launched. Kate bops the alpha zombie on the head with a fire extinguisher and this is a fire extinguisher that is inside of the helicopter that was once on fire on top of the roof uh, so this fire extinguisher is something that peter did not use to put out the engine fire anyway uh, so peter is strapped into the cockpit after the helicopter um crashes we never see Gita again. Um, duh, the the alpha's gone. Uh, blown, uh, brains blown out. Scott is still breathing, and then Kate sort of runs up to him. Of course, he's been bitten, so Kate has to kill him. And then we see. I'm not even sad at this point. It's not. It's. It has no emotional gravity for me. Uh, where does this other helicopter come from? <laughs> it's like a rescue chopper sent out to save them from an evacuation zone after a nuclear uh, bomb. I, uh... 
okay, Mr. Music Supervisor. I, it could be Mrs. or Miss Music Supervisor. I have no idea. But the Cranberry Zombie, I knew you were going to play it. Um, and I only thought it was weird sounding because, like I said, I had the speed on one and a quarter speed. We knew we were going to hear it. I just didn't think it would take so long. And surprise, surprise, Vandero escapes from the nuke zone. <laughs> he finds a house. He doesn't look really like he's gone through a lot, but I guess that's because he was that far safe down. But I'm pretty sure nuclear radiation poisoning would kill him. Uh, he finds a house. He finds a car, obviously, with keys and gas, and he drives to Utah. He gets a private plane to Mexico City and then realizes he's bit, like, inside of the, uh, the private jet's bathroom. So, missed opportunities, I feel like there's this time loop angle that gets mentioned, but kind of got dropped, and I was looking for more of a time loop. Unless, of course, the time loop happens in Mexico, and then, to me, that's not a time loop. That's just a change of, like, location. <laughs> uh, I want to really want, I need to see these rehydrated, dehydrated, uh, reanimated zombies. Um, that's That's cool. I think the zombie queen is essentially a damsel in distress, though. Uh, she she gets her head cut off and doesn't really, like, nothing else happens to her. Uh, and then kind of gets replaced by the big bad alpha Zeus male zombie, and I think that's kind of messed up. I kind of wanted to see what kind of, what kind of damage the, the zombie, what kind of damage the zombie queen was going to do. But, yeah, um... Uh, I guess I liked it more, but it's just too long. <laughs> it's just too long. Uh, watch Dawn of the Dead if you've never seen it before. Those The stakes in Dawn of the Dead are high. I, I really felt that. Um, it stays pretty true to the formula, too. Um, the, the right people make it out at the end of, the, of that film. I'm not sure the right people make it out at this one. <laughs> Hail, you problematics. Thanks for listening. Check me out on Instagram. I can be found at problematicpod. That's problematicpod. And leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Check you next time. Thanks for listening.